It's Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, where I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson. Last year was a big one for the United States politically. The Biden administration passed three major legislative packages, the Chips and Science Act, Infrastructure Law, and the Inflation Reduction Act. Together, these laws are meant to improve manufacturing at home, smooth out supply chains, and help America transition to an economy focused on producing and distributing green energy technologies. But how are these things impacting our neighbors mere miles away in Canada? What has Canada, one of the world's largest oil producers, been doing to transition away from carbon-emitting technologies? And how are the two countries working together to create a future that is cleaner and more prosperous for North America writ large? To talk about all of this, we have Francois-Philippe Champagne here with us. He is the Canadian Federal Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry, and he is on tour through Michigan. Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne, welcome to Detroit and welcome to Detroit Today. Well, thank you, Nick. It's a a real pleasure, I would say, to be back. You know, uh, uh, when you come to Detroit, uh, oftentimes I go to Windsor and just have to look. And sometimes I've given an interview and the background is the either American flag, you know, or, or the Canadian flag, depending on which side you are. So... Uh, everything you said, I would subscribe. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, I would summarize that there won't be a decision on one side of the border that won't have an impact on both sides, and particularly the workers. So everything you just said about the frame. And I think that the piece of legislation that you mentioned that President Biden uh, put, uh, for me, is a catalyst for us to do more together. I, I think it's a great moment uh, at a time where we see there is a generational opportunity and for me, um, you know, having been now being Secretary of Commerce, but having been Secretary of State before, I always say to my American friends, and I've come here very often, although you never come too often, I would say, is is how can we innovate more together? How can we manufacture more together? And how can we sell more together to the rest of the world? And I think there is a, there is a moment uh, in time and we're living through it where if we seize the opportunities, we're going to create jobs for decades to come. Well, that's part of what we want to get into here, because as you mentioned, we here in Detroit understand, especially being so connected to Canada, that not one decision is isolated. We all live Indeed. here as a group. But even with that said, we know a lot of things about Canada, vague things, and probably don't get into the nuances of just how your political system hmm. is quite different than ours. So before we even get into uh, specifically uh, what you're doing here right now, tell the audience a little bit about what you do as the Federal Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry in a parliamentary government. Well, it's very interesting. I'm, I'm glad you bring that, Nick, because... Uh, most of my colleagues, the, the, the different secretaries in the United States, sometimes always ask us, because for us, obviously, we're part of a political party, but the major difference for our listeners is that in our system, you have to be elected to be member of cabinet. So I have my own district in the way that I represent in parliament. And just to make you smile, my district is bigger than the country of Belgium in Europe. So it's about eight hours north-south driving. And, and you basically need a pickup to do that because I go way up north. So not only I have a cabinet responsibility for, uh, for the nation and the equivalent, I would say, in the United States as the Secretary of Commerce, Secretary Raimondo, uh, but at the same time, I also have constituents 
who expect me to represent them in, in our legislature. So the big difference for our listeners is that when you're a cabinet minister in Canada, you're both part of the legislative branch and also the executive branch. So then you can smile at me and you assume, okay, how do you manage time? Time is the most challenging thing in terms of having to not only belong to a political party, uh, being the representative of your constituents in the legislature, at the same time serving uh, in an executive fashion to obviously, uh, uh, I would say, respond to all the duties and response. My department is one of the largest, you know. Uh, for example, I have the equivalent of the uh, of NASA, the Canadian Space Agency. I go with the census, which is in my department. And like you said, I have all the research institute in the country, plus uh, the whole piece around industry. So all sector of the economy, uh, basically uh, being a steward. And at the same time, there's a lot of cross-border issues. I'm happy that uh, you say that. First of all, because I study just next door. I study in Hawaii and Cleveland. So for okay. me, every time I come here, uh, it, it's good. And also because I would say one thing that is obvious to us, but not always obvious to anyone around the world, but there are no two nations in the world which have more integrated supply chain than Canada and the United States. And I'm always one to boast that relationship. For example, when you look at the auto sector, I always say uh, the Windsor Detroit corridor is the third largest in the world after uh, manufacturing in China and what you see in Germany. So what we have established together is something for us to be really proud. And actually, when you talk to workers, I'll give you stories. For example, when we had the the famous COVID uh, and and one of the technicians and ministers, you know, I, I am a, actually one who serves both plants on both sides of the border. So she was spending, I think, the morning on the Canadian side and the afternoon in the U.S. side and then going back home. So it just tells that how much we have built together and how much I think ahead of us now that we're moving from the combustion engine to the electric vehicle. I think this is like, uh, when is the last time that we've seen a breakthrough change in technology? I mean, you and I are of an age that yeah. <laughs> we've always seen the combustion engine, but now clearly uh, with the US automakers and I would say the others around the world were, were resolutely going electric. But my vision, and that's why it's so important to be here, I was with Dow Chemical today is that uh, not only I think uh, you know customers will want an electric vehicle, but I think they want a, a green vehicle. Yeah. And that's why I say we can be the green supplier of choice. So with green steel, green aluminum, uh, green plastics, that's what I was talking to Dow Chemical, and eventually green batteries. So I think that we have the wherewithal in this part of North America uh, to onshore uh, jobs here, uh, to do more on the side of innovation and the car of the future, uh, but at the same time, to provide uh, for folks not only good jobs now, but I would say for generations to come. And that's why when I come here, uh, it, it's always a good uh, a good moment because uh, I, I see a lot of similarities between uh, the industrial base that you have here and what we have in Canada. That's good to know. We'll unpack a little bit more of that uh, later on, especially with electric vehicles. But since you did mention that you were speaking with Dow Chemicals, for mm. example, for folks, again, who might be intrigued as to why someone from Canada would be spending so much time here in Michigan, you mentioned speaking to Dow Chemical. Why specifically are you here touring the state? I know you touched on it a bit. And who have you been talking to? Well, uh, the reason of Dow is that we have a big project together uh, about a, a Netherland plant, which would be uh, one of the lowest emission or perhaps the lowest emission plant in the world that we're looking together to serve both markets. Uh, because what you find, you know, is that most of the U.S. companies that you find here in Michigan 
or oh, I would say even generally in the United States, I was in Washington about three weeks ago with, with some of the defense contractor, is that they have operations on both sides of the border. And what I'm trying to do oftentimes is to replicate the very successful relationship and industrial base we have built. Because like I say, we're, we're, we're complementary. You know, right. there's no competition. The competition right. is not in North America. We know where's the competition. It's not here. Right. So what we've done in the auto sector, for example, you may have heard, I'm trying to replicate that. For example, having a similar corridor between Albany and Bromont and Quebec on the chip side so that not only we are more resilient, because one of the things when you mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act, the CHIPS Act, and everything that President Biden has been doing to, to really be a catalyst to adopt these green technologies, for me, uh, the underpinning principle is resiliency. Yeah. And my message to Washington and, and to folks in the U.S. is that if the United States wants to be more resilient, Canada's to be part of the equation. Mm. And I'll tell you why, because uh, when you look at what we need for the economy of the 21st century, we need two things which are quite obvious. One is critical minerals, so that we can be uh, more resilient when it comes to battery manufacturing for the cars of the future. And the other one is chips manufacturing. So on one end, you will manufacture them, but I'm sure folks probably don't really know but Canada uh, with IBM is, is the larger site for packaging and testing of these semiconductors in Canada. Mm. So there you go again. Yeah. What is true in the auto sector is true uh, in the chip sector, and it's also true in the aerospace sector uh, with Boeing, for example. So what I'm trying to do is always try to find opportunities, uh, knowing that the competition is never within uh, continental North America. But, but, you know, we have to, to raise our game. Yeah. And I think uh, these uh, landmark, I would say, bill from President Biden is, is raising the bar. And I think for me, I see that as opportunities. Well, I want to unpack that here, especially because, you know, there are going to be some people listening now who think of the world maybe a little bit more zero sum. They're going to mm. be concerned that, wait a second, if Canada is manufacturing these things, then that's going to mean a loss from us here in Michigan and beyond. Especially you'll have people who live around here who think of NAFTA, for sure. example, and have big concerns about what that did for manufacturing here. For folks who have that concern that maybe this would mean taking away opportunities from Michigan or folks, what response would you have for them about how this works for everyone's benefit? I would say it's quite the opposite. It's bringing opportunities. Because in order for us to be more resilient, take a battery, for example. And battery will be like, depending on the type of vehicle you have, 40 to 60% of the value of, of a lightweight electric vehicle. Now, uh, to build these batteries, uh, you need a number of critical minerals. Uh, you need nickel, you need lithium, you need cobalt, you need manganese. Now, it, it so happened that maybe in a way, Canada has been blessed with geography and geology in the sense that most of these minerals are north of the border. Now, if you look at that, you said, I think, and I'll put it to your listeners, I don't think it really makes sense to mine in Africa to refine these minerals in China and to build battery with coal. I think folks who are listening would say, well, who's our most trusted partner and neighbor that we have is Canada. Mm -hmm. So if you want to build a resilient supply chain to build a car of the future, you realize that that's why I'm saying for the U.S. to be resilient, Canada is to be part of the equation because these critical minerals would rather do it together uh, as opposed to having uh, the United States having to import it from, let's say, markets in Asia when they are next door. So that's why I say together we do more. Right. It's not about, like you said, the zero-sum game because uh, the alternative is what? Is not resiliency, is dependency. And if we want to cut dependency 
in these very critical supply chain for which customers, folks who are listening have been paying for that. I'm sure everyone remembers how much we've been uh, wanting of chips right. and plants have been stopping for that. So the fact that we'll be able, for example, to manufacture the chip, but the fact that we don't have to send them in Asia for the last bit of it, which is the packaging and testing, but that's gonna be done in Canada, it makes both the United States and Canada more resilient. And that, in my view, is what people want because the, you know, there's a reason why it's called the Inflation Reduction Act is that if we work together, we're gonna be more resilient and with resiliency, you bring efficiency and with efficiency, you bring price down. Yeah. And I think ultimately that's what consumers want because, um, you know, on both sides of the border, that's what we've been able to establish that uh, we are mutually dependent. And for folks listening, and I'm sure probably I'll say three things that you probably have not heard very often, Nick, but you may know or not that Canada buys more from the United States than China, Japan, and the UK combined every year. Mm. That two-thirds of the United States, two-thirds of Canada's their first export market. That is massive. That is massive. And that the trade between our two countries is more than $2 billion a day. There is no two nations in the world that have more exchange on a daily basis than Canada and the United States. Yeah. So we're friends, we're allies, and we're partners. That's why, you know, we've seen recently, whether it's the, the Chinese balloon, you know, NORAD reacted and, and Northern Command was there. But it was both, you know, U.S. fighter pilot and Canadian fighter pilot, which were ensuring our safety and our security. So what is true there uh, in terms of national security, I think you can translate that into our economic prosperity, which is, you know, we are mutually dependent because we share the same continent after all. Right. And that's how we've been uh, able to organize ourselves. And I think that's the best way uh, to bring jobs on both sides uh, of the border. We're speaking with Francois-Philippe Champagne, again, the Canadian Federal Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry here on Detroit Today and 1019 WDET. And I want to get into a little bit about your move toward net zero carbon emissions. Hmm. And we will do that in a moment. But with the last thing you just mentioned, I wanted to uh, just unpack that a little bit more because you're talking about the mutual investment that we have here in America with Canada. And I know Michiganders, especially sharing a border as we are doing more work to take away some of the manufacturing and reliance on China and having more reliance on Canada, folks here will probably be interested in knowing what Canada is doing. You mentioned how much you sure. purchase from uh, America. Let's talk Michigan in, spe in specifics. Uh, can you give listeners an example of how you in Canada or what you're uh, doing to in terms of investment in Michigan and if you're planning for that to oh, continue yes. moving forward? I mean, you see Canadian companies uh, as many, you know, oftentimes, and I'm happy you asked that question, Nick, because oftentimes folks listening may think, oh, well, that's U.S. companies being on both sides of the border. Well, I have something to tell you. There's Canadian companies which are on both sides of the border as well. You right. can think of Magna, you can think yes, of Linamar, right. you can yeah. think of Martin Rio. They have operations on both sides because you know what? They realize that, you know, there's five things that, that you know, global companies are seeking today. You know, the first one is talent. And I would say that we've been very lucky on both sides of, of the border, both in Michigan and I would say in Canada and Ontario, uh, to have a very, very dedicated talented and educated workforce. And that's the first thing. The second thing people are looking at, if they're gonna put a plant you know, in our area, is is there a strong ecosystem? And that we can say flat out, yes we are. We have a very strong ecosystem because they look at it on both sides of the border. The third thing they look is that, is there critical minerals? 
because the car of the future is not the car of your father and our grandfather. It's an electric car. And what's an electric car? It's basically a computer on wheels and with a battery. But in order to do the battery, you need these critical minerals. And there I would say, Nick, proximity is everything. Proximity to resources, to the assembly lines, and to the market. The fourth, I would say, is around renewable energy. Mm. Uh, because what you see from the manufacturers, they want to green the supply chain. That's where we're moving. That's where we're going electric. But we just don't want to be electric. We want to be green. And the last thing is access to market. Because they realize that when they do that, uh, whether in the United States or Canada, uh, we have access to markets around the world. In fact, Canada is the only G7 country which has a free trade agreement with all other G7 nations. So it's mutually beneficial because sometimes a U.S. company would say, well, I want to come in Canada because that gives me access, for example, to the European market. Or you will have a Canadian company who says, you know what, uh, I want to be in Michigan uh, because I want to be close to the plant of Ford or GM because I'm doing that piece, which is very critical. And if you look at vehicles, you know, when we have looked at this corridor, because our game is really to attract investment in the Northeast, where we are, you know, in, in our region, what, what you've seen many times is that a, a vehicle would move like six times across the border before it goes to a final customer. So it's just that many times we don't realize because it's seamless to you and I. You know, we just get our goods, we get our masks during COVID, uh, we get our vaccines, uh, we get our cars. But what makes us successful on both sides of the border is the fact that we work together. And like I said, my, my wish is always let's seize the moment and be ambitious. And, and let's try to see how we can do more together. Because, you know, when people have a choice, Nick, they can go either in the southern state, they can go west, they can go to the east coast, they can go north. I think our game here is to say, what can we do in this corridor, right. which is recognized around the world? You know, you go in Japan, people talk about what we're doing here. You go in Korea, they talk about it. Uh, you go in Germany, they talk about it. So we have created this, this, this I would say, amazing ecosystem. And, and that is because people have invested for decades in that. And, and for example, I was reminded, and I'll leave it there, but you know, uh, when we had COVID, I don't know how many nurses are coming from Canada to hospitals here in Michigan. Mm. Uh, you know, when they were looking yeah. at border easing. And at the time, I recall someone said, but let's be mindful that if we are, uh, if we close that border, uh, you know, there might be a number of folks on the other side of the border who are going to be uh, impacted because, you know, these this this medical personnel will, won't be able to cross the border. So you see, it plays yeah. on both. That's why I'm saying, and I think you capture it, is that a, a decision on one side always has an impact on both. That's how I would say with the governor, with the premier, with both federal government, we're very aware that you know, we share the longest unguarded border in the world, and we have the Great Lakes. Uh, we have this this advantage of of leading the world when it comes to technology, manufacturing, and innovation. And, and that's really where I would like us to see succeed. Right, right. Well, I know I don't have you forever, but a couple <laughs> more questions before you get out of here. One of the things that uh, is truly ambitious, speaking of ambition, that you're going for is in June of 2021, Canada passed the Canadian Net Zero Emissions Accountability Act, which mandates that Canada will have a net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Why was 30 years a good timeline, and what are the things Canada is doing to move its country away from carbon sources? Well, I think that's where the world is going. Mm. And, and, and certainly, 
why you need a period of transition? Well, because you know, to remove carbon in about every sector of our economy takes time. I mean, it's true in Canada, it's true in the United States, because, you know, what makes the United States a, a great country is that you have uh, industrial base, whether in aerospace and defense, in the automotive sector, in biomanufacturing, I can go on and on. Same thing in Canada. So we have taken steps, for example, to be a producer of green steel, green aluminum, uh, green batteries. I want to do green s microchips, for example, because mm -hmm. I think that's the direction we want to go. Uh, and, and I think we were, somehow, Nick, I, I, I can, the prime minister um, had set the tone. And I think, uh, thanks, now we are all on the same page in trying to decarbonize as quickly. My discussion with Dow, for example, on their plan. I think everyone realized that, that that's where we need to go. And how we can do that is with technology. Yeah. It's with innovation. It's with science. You know, I, I was on a plane recently. And sometimes you meet amazing people on planes. So the, the gentleman next to me said, sir, do you know I'm a researcher? And I started engaging with him. He said, you know what? The science of today is the economy of tomorrow. Right. And that, you know, I, I've kept repeating that because I think that if we do more together and if we are together at the table internationally to set the standard, to set the norms, to do more research together, uh, we were talking about renewable energy. We talk about green technology, uh, capturing carbon. Uh, this is where we can win. You know, we need to be prepared for the economy of the 21st century. And there's never been competition between us. You know, that's not where the competition is. Right. If, we, if we are together, we are stronger. Yeah. And that I know because our allies around the world, everyone wants to have a piece of what we're doing in North America. Uh, because, you know, uh, if you talk to leaders around the world, there are three things top of mind. Uh, it's food security, it's energy security, and it's supply chain resiliency. And I think in these three fields... Canada and the United States can be leaders to help our allies, friends, and partners around the world. So. Very good. Canadian Federal Minister of Innovation, Science, and Industry, Francois-Philippe Champagne, thank you for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you very much for having me, sir. When we return, we will continue our conversation, this time keeping it on this side of the border, by checking in with Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist on Detroit Today, right here on 1019 WDET.